I hope everybody's new year was good. Uh, My family and I had a quiet New Year's. Uh, We had our last dinner of of 2015 downtown Culver, um, and it was quiet. And then we went home and just sort of whipped our kids in Mario Kart and just played with our Christmas toys most of the night. And we asked our children at dinner uh, what they think the new year for them holds. And basically, what are they looking forward to or what do they want to happen Now, all the responses of my children, they were very sweet, uh, but my daughter's response, if you know my daughter, uh, you're not surprised, it was particularly uh, amusing. And Violet said, uh, this year, Dad, I fly. And so I, (laughs) me being intrigued, I obviously meant, oh, cool, like, you're in airplane time. And she's like, no. And then she said this so sweet, she goes, This year, I want my body to fly like a bird. And then she goes, I want rocket shoes to go into the clouds. And I was like, oh, gosh. (laughs) And so me trying to be a good dad, I leaned in and reminded her, sweetie, that's physically impossible. (laughs) And I just remember thinking in that moment how crazy her New Year's resolution was. And I told her that, like, you're crazy. No, and I just remember, like, she wants to fly like a bird. My daughter wants to fly like a bird in 2016. And as crazy as that sounds, by the way, I'm not a jerk dad. I didn't say that to my daughter. I just want to make sure before we move on. And as crazy as it sounds, though, what my daughter said, and as impossible as it would be, is it safe to assume that some of us have just as wild resolutions for 2016? They may not be like my daughter where we soon will grow wings and, and change and so on. But just like the last year, new me, you know, new year, new me, or, or every 12 months, or every 365 days, we confront a new year with eyes wide open and, and expectant hearts. You know, some of us look at 2016 as some look towards the stars with dreams and hopes and imagine what change might possibly come. There are some of you anticipating really uh, exciting um, celebrations and joys to be had, payoffs and good life changes in these next 12 months. And there's some of you where if we could just skip 2016, remember, remember Mel Gibson did that in Forever Young? Does anybody remember that movie? That movie was epic. But all of a sudden, he has some hardship show up in his life, and what's he do? He hops in a coma machine for like 30 years that Norm from Cheers invented, and he wakes up 30 years later. For some of us, we wish we could do that, or we could just skip it, wishing for a 2016 change due to 2015's regrets and choices. I was thinking the other day how insane it is, and I love that our church is, is small enough where we could do this, but I can look out into this room now, and I can see the faces of the people who I know uh, had a huge past 12 months. I mean, 2015 has been unreal for some of the people within our church, uh, the people having babies, the people getting pregnant. Families being reconciled and families being torn apart. Uh, Moving from here to there and there to here. People getting married and and people breaking up. And there was loss of loved ones. And there's new jobs for some. And then there's severance packages for others. I mean, this has been an unreal year just in this room alone. 
And so because of that, because we collectively, not only as a church, as Westsiders, as Angelinos, but as the human race in New Year's fashion, we are all thinking upon these things, considering change, aspiring for change, expecting change. So because of that, we thought it would be good to postpone our archetype series and acts just by a couple weeks. Um, and today, today, just really discuss change and discuss newness, and discuss uh, resolutions. And then like Lorenzo said, next week should be a lot of fun and very informative if you want to know or if you are part of this church. But all that to say is we want to sort of carpe diem, you know, this time, this idea, so we can talk about change together. So we can talk about change as a church. Because in a room full of people, where we have believers and unbelievers, we have singles and marrieds and the younger and the older, resolutions are stewing. Resolutions are stewing. Now hear me, uh, that doesn't mean necessarily that we've written these out. See, they're stewing even if they're unformed or unspoken or unknown. Because what we do know, what we do know is that 2016 brings change no matter what. 2016 is going to somehow change us. So if you're the type that does have resolutions and you, know, you write them in your diary and put them on your hope chest, or you're the one who's like, I'm just along for the ride. If you're either way, I'd like for us to consider something. I'd like for us to consider a question. And that being, what is God's resolution for me? What is God's resolution for us? And it's a bit cheesy, I know, but if you hear me out, Christians in the time where we consider change and transition the most, where we consider tra- you know, change and transition the most, we're signing up for CrossFit and we're buying teeth whitening kits and becoming vegan and this year I'm going to finish that sci-fi script, I promise. When we're all this change, I want us to not forget that we should seek to know change from the perspective of heaven which sort of changes change. See, who is God's, excuse me, what is God's and what is the Bible's design for our change, for my change? See, have we sought to see and know what God would have us change within, what he would have our resolutions be? And, and this applies to both believer and unbeliever. And if you're here and you don't, if you're not a Christian, you don't believe, first, welcome. And second, there is a word here for you tonight as well. There's a consideration, uh, an invitation. So what I'd like to do is give a table of contents of sorts of where this talk is going. And I've alliterated it because apparently that's what teachers and pastors do. But I did it because I want us to remember it. I want us to know it. So here's where we're going tonight. I want to talk about his, that being God's activity and change. Then I want to talk about our aim in our change. And before any of that, I want us to talk about the aspiration for change. See, what is my desire? What is my aspiration to change? I heard a um, TED Talk recently where the speaker, a psychologist um, with, with a lot of confidence, said a very famous thought we've, we've probably heard a few different times, but I'll say it again. And he said um, that the only constant in our lives is change. So the only constant in our life is change. Now, I, I do believe that to be true. Now, clearly, this is regarding both 
superficial and temporary change. And some of those changes in life and in 2016 are good and some, um, some are not so good. Now hear me, as small and as big as those changes we may have already decided they, they are or will be, I'd like to invite you to have a more ambitious aspiration for change right now. I'd like to invite you to have a more ambitious uh, change uh, this year. I want us to consider um, in this moment greater more meaningful, more sustainable change. To seek and know in our, in our belly and in our bones what God would have us change this year. To believe with every atom in our body what Jeremiah 29 says, for I know the plans I have for you, God talking to his people, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. That is, that is like face tattoo worthy type of a verse. Here's the thing. Some of us aspire for change. And some of us have serious resolutions like we've been talking about, but have not yet been planted in what God would have for us. They're planted, and I say this sort of heavily, but in godless soil. And some of us perhaps haven't given it two thoughts about what this could be. And I want to encourage us now that this could be the exhortation for you to say to God, what would you have, what would you have me change? See, if some of us haven't given any thoughts, I don't know what this year holds. I want this to be an exhortation now. God, what would you have me change? To pray, to ask, to see God, what would you have me do? To take time and ask the Lord the questions or to get the glob of vulnerability on the table within our discipleship groups and ask the safe people around us questions like, am I too greedy? To open it up, Lord, am I too greedy this year? Discipleship group, am I too greedy? Am I giving? Am I generous? To ask such questions this year, to seek God, would you have me change? Do I not take the local church serious enough? Jesus, I just can't forgive him. Jesus, I just can't forgive her. Am I operating out of woundedness or bitterness? God, am I, am I constantly driven by shame and guilt? To ask the questions this year, God, you want to change my legalism. God, am I unbelievably religious? The aspiration to change can be good, but I, as a friend, would implore you and beg you that all change and all newness and all resolutions start with Jesus. Years ago, I, um, I had a job for about, um, man, maybe a week. <laughs> had a job for about a week um, doing a paper route. Now, it wasn't a paper route for like a bike. It was a very serious paper route delivering a major newspaper all over the city. Has anybody ever had a job like that? No, okay. It's nuts. It's absolutely insane. You have to meet at the warehouse around 2 a.m., you have to wrap all of your own individual newspapers. And some people have routes that are like hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of deliveries. And then you just drive to the wee hours of the morning listening to talk radio. It's horrible. Now, to get trained, you're supposed to sit shotgun for like two or three weeks with an experienced person. Like, this is what you do. When I got the job, I sort of smooth talked my way out of that and said, I just need to get the money. Let's just get the work. And I convinced them to not allow me to sit shotgun to somebody mama that was a huge huge mistake huge mistake 
Day one, I delivered three out of 80 papers to the proper house. That means like 77 people woke up like, well, this is great. I didn't order it. I mean, it was insane. I was getting in trouble every day that week. And so by the end of it, I just wanted to get fired. So I just started chucking all the newspapers out of my car as I was driving down every street. So all that to say, I just want us to understand. I mean, I was having no idea what I was doing, where I was going, how I was doing. I mean, it was good aspiration with zero, with zero, zero, zero direction. See, I bypassed the experienced driver and began driving immediately the streets of Prescott, Arizona. And see, that job should have started with me sitting under the driver and asking questions of where do I go? That job should have started with me asking, do I turn here? Do I turn there? What's the best time to start? See, I think you all get the application, but scripture makes the point even clearer. Look at our verses for Isaiah today. Where the new, the change the Israelites were seeking begins with God, and God reminds them that your aspiration begins with me. He says this in verse 19. He says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Behold, I am doing a new thing. See, the Israelites, God's chosen nation, have been in exile for 50, 55 years. And and essentially what that means is that they're not where they should be. They're not where they're called to. Why? Because their nation has been invaded by another nation. And the many, upon many chapters before Isaiah 43, is these chapters of suffering and enslavement for them. And naturally for them, as it would be for all of us, the grave questions begin to be asked. Where is God? Where is God in all of this? What is God doing? Can this God be trusted? And more and more questions. And then I want us to see Isaiah 43 as God's sharp words that are like a blade which pierce through their fears and slice open the unknowns. And I hope that even maybe now, collective church, they could do that to us. See, God reminds them all over chapter 43 of one thing, who he is. He reminds them the entire chapter of who he is. Verse 11, look down at the Bible. It says, I am the Lord. And besides me, there is no savior. Verse 12, I declared and saved and proclaimed where there was no strange God among you. And you are my witnesses, declare the Lord. And I am God. Even verse one. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, he who formed you. See, more often than not, what fuels our troubles and fears that we'll, that we'll encounter throughout our days and we'll encounter throughout 2016 is a case of mistaken identity. Mistakenly forgetting all that, all that he is, all that who he is, his identity. See, this is a theme. It's, if you guys don't know this about the Old Testament, this is a theme, and this is a horse beaten to death in the Old Testament of forgetting who God is and God going, oh, I'm reminding you. Forgetting what he can do and God reminding what he can do. Forgetting what he's done and God reminding everybody of his testimony over and over. And this forgetfulness, and you guys will see where I'm going with this, this this forgetfulness is is black tar. I mean, it's this black tar of sorts that Christians can so easily get stuck in, where somehow the words of Isaiah 43 are pertaining to our activity, not God's. Where somehow, behold, I am making all things new, becomes our new bumper sticker. 
Behold, Casey makes new situations and new ways and new changes, and I know the paper route. Pastors especially constantly get stuck in the tar. I am the king of thinking my own ability to change anything is far stronger than his. I am the king of it, failing to recognize that he is the creator and I am the creation. And that's not only within preaching. I mean, I am a mess trying to put these talks together, an absolute mess. I have to be reminded every day, oh, that's right, God, God, God's in control, who he is. Not only within my job or pastoring or preaching, but within child rearing. I fail to remember within loving my wife. I fail to remember who he is and maintaining relationships. So even when we were planting this church, it was Pastor Lorenzo and I constantly going back and forth, double-checking, inviting others in to examine, asking for prayer and seeking counsel to make sure that we never once took from the hands of Jesus, the architect and builder of the church, and put this in our court. Hey, are we doing this? Is this right? Does this seem healthy? Making sure that we were not forgetting who Jesus was and what he does. Now, I don't say this to make us look like heroes, heavens no. I say that to help illustrate how slimy and how sticky the tar forgetting who he is can be. So as Christians, we get stuck. Pastors get stuck. And I would even say um, those who don't believe, non-Christians, they get stuck as well, not knowing who he is. And for so many, that being a reason and a deciding factor whether or not to follow Jesus Christ. See, a huge hollow impact when discussing God's activity and change or when I'm encouraging you to seek resolutions this year that God would have new resolutions for you would be to introduce you to a Jesus who is just a repairman. To try to talk about change and introduce you to a Jesus who is merely a physician to bleeding situations. To talk about a Jesus who is a therapist for our drama or a pill to pop or a drink to swallow. See, for some, it's approaching the living Christ with hands open, but our hearts and our intentions and our being very guarded. Now, if you don't confess Christ, maybe you're confused. Saying, wait, case face, I thought, you know, Jesus was supposed to be this great healer and counselor, you know, and loving and giving from God the Father. And if you've read the Bible or if you've been to a church gathering before, you've probably heard this and you probably really know this. But this, my friends, can be a very subtle perversion. It can be a um, devilish half-truth. You see, where there is aspiration for God to merely change our circumstance. God, change my circumstance that has the potential when we do that to make Jesus go from Savior to superficial, to superficial. It's basically like getting married for security reasons, or it's like having children for tax breaks. See, this is a potential opposition to any change you or I may encounter. And a point of confusion for so many who are curious about the Christian faith. So let us just say for the record, Jesus, you know, they're, they're, essentially people get, people can get so frustrated that Jesus didn't fix what I wanted him to fix. Or that Jesus didn't solve what I wanted him to solve. Or Jesus didn't stitch up what I wanted him to stitch up. Jesus doesn't affirm me. Jesus doesn't pat my back. And Jesus is not what I want him to be. 
It's forgetting who he is. See, that's not the God of the Christian faith. That's not that if you're curious about the Christian, that is not who he is. That's not the God of Isaiah 43 who thunders from heaven and who loves us with an incorruptible love. I was thinking, very silly, stupid illustration, but that's essentially like popping in the address in our phone, giving it to God and saying, navigate us there. Just take us there. See, I'm asking God to take us there. And when God says, you need to go left, and we're like, left? What? I mean, it it just... See, that's not asking God, uh, how must I change to grow? That's asking God, how do I change to get? See, that's not asking God, how do I change myself? That's asking God, how do I merely change my situation? Author... uh, Paul Tripp said, um, said, we turn to Jesus, we turn Jesus into someone whose goal in life is to make us feel good about ourselves. That is a real temptation in change. If you don't know Jesus and church, if you need a reminder, again, Christ, the son of the living God, is after our hearts. He's after our hearts. See, Jesus has come to cleanse and he's come to care and he has come to change you far beyond just changing our circumstances. Famous author and theologian G.K. Chesterton, he helps us understand. He wants us to get past sort of temporal change when he says the object of a new year is not that we should have a new year. It is that we should have a new soul and a new nose and new feet a new backbone, new ears and new eyes. Unless a particular man made New Year's resolutions, he would make no resolutions. Unless a man starts afresh about things, he will certainly, certainly do nothing effective. We should be seeking God to open our chest and have him start our hearts afresh this year. Now, I want to be careful here that I don't, that that it just sounds like I'm belittling difficult circumstances or that God doesn't change us or help us in our circumstances, uh, because that is far from it. The Bible says that God is a refuge and strength and a very present help in trouble and in times of need. What I want us to see is that God is not just after changing our circumstance or fixing or changing our solutions. The activity of God within the Bible is to get to our core. God wants to change you. God wants to change me. God wants you. And God wants me. Not just our circumstance. I was thinking it's, it's much like parenting. Um, if I want my children to change with a meaningful, sustainable change, to be effective in their life, like Chesterton, Chesterton said, I mustn't simply just correct or focus on circumstances or behavior, but I try, I try to at least get to the heart in teachable moments with my children. Because all, again, lasting change, substantial change starts with the desires of our heart. Again, the heart being, you know, the core of who we are, the capital, the the arc and stone of everything that we are. And if we allow him, if we allow him, if we uncage the core of who we are, if we uncage our heart, he changes it through the work of Christ that has been done for us. 
He changes it through the work of the Spirit that is done in us. It's as author Tim Lane said, he said, the need for new behavior are all built on the foundation of God's grace at work to change our hearts through the Spirit. Hear me now, please. Friends, church, those who, who don't know Jesus, that type of change, we cannot do ourselves. We cannot do this ourselves. We can talk all day about broad, vague changes, but the single greatest change is a vertical t- change between us and God. So if you want to think about Jesus as a repairman, the greatest thing that Jesus got Christ repaired was our relationship with God the Father. And this is the single greatest change we as humanity can ever have, ever receive. A type of change that transcends self-improvement. A type of change that is more than human endeavor. And it is only made possible by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hear me now, the Christian's faith is, is a process of change, but it is not something that is a metric of systems and formulas. But we believe our change revolves around the person and work of Jesus Christ. I want us to hear this and to make a resolution. I want us to hear that to make a resolution, or what a resolution is, is to make a firm decision to do. To make a resolution is to make a firm decision to be. That's what it means to make a resolution. A firm decision to do or a firm decision to be. And God made a resolution to you. And God made a resolution to me. And unlike 90% of America where February 1, I was like, what was my plans again? God, that doesn't happen to God. God made a firm and unshakable decision to change those who put their lives in him, to change us eternally. Here's the best part. Please hear me. Here's the best part of that change. It wasn't to make us better. It wasn't just make us better. It wasn't change to make us work harder. It wasn't simple change for us to earn or achieve anything. God made a resolution through the birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ that he would make us new. That for those who would give their life to Jesus, they all would be forgiven, all would be cleansed, and all would be changed. Think about uh, Paul the Apostle. I can't wait till we get to Paul the Apostle in the book of Acts. If you don't know who Paul is, he is a former Christian persecutor. He's a monst- he was a monstrosity. He was a monster to God and God's people. And Paul knew the idea of change very, very intimately. See, when he came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior and the source of all forgiveness, see, I want to, I'm going to read some verses, but I want you to think about how dear these must have been to somebody like Paul, who's once known as the savage Saul of Tarsus. This is what Paul says about change. Again, think how dear this must have been to him. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God and Paul. No, no, all this is from God and the church. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation Amen. That's awesome. Again, hear it. 
Gospel hasn't happened to make us stronger or better or simply function more, but new. The old has passed away. I just hope the old has passed away. See, what comforting yet hard to believe words for anybody thinking about 2015. Thinking about 2015, our actions or our choices, those, those bad boys need to pass away. Look at what God says in verse 43. This is what he's telling the people, and I love it. Or excuse me, uh, chapter 43, verse 18. So he's telling the people, I love it. He goes, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Now, does that strike anybody as sort of odd? Remember not the former things. Aren't we supposed to remember the former things? Aren't we supposed to? I mean, doesn't that inform our future and so on? So what's he going on about? God is telling the Israelites, remember not your former sins. God is telling the Israelites, uh, do not consider the ways you were. Do not consider the ways you were. He's saying a change has been made. A change will be made. Cleansing and forgiveness in Jesus is like an all-consuming fire. It is no more. Believers hear this. Unbelievers receive this. Remember your transgressions no more. Remember your past actions no more. Remember your days of alcoholism no more. Remember your days of drug abuse no more. Remember your days of promiscuity no more. Remember your days of stealing and lying no more. They have passed away and they have been buried six feet under. Look at verse 25 of 43 of Isaiah. He goes, I, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And what's he say? I will not remember your sins. Yet we struggle every day bringing them back up, trying to prove ourselves. So many of us operating out of shame and guilt. And God's like, I don't remember what you're talking about. See, God and God alone has made a change. Not you, not me, God. Be reminded of your past shame no more. And for some of you, and a resolution from God maybe this year that he would have for you is to finally deal with your current transgressions, your current sin, to no longer think of it. Something, a resolution God may have for you is it is time now, you or you or you, to repent. It is time now to seek help. It is time now to confess. God does not want you to be identified by those things no longer. There's this old, brilliant um, story of, a, of an exiled prince who in this vision, uh, he's being called by his father, the king, to go back and reign. He's telling him to go back and reign. But this prince is just, he's trapped. He's trapped in his guilt, and he's trapped in his old ways, and he needs change. He needs change. And there's this great moment in this marsh where the prince, the one true king, is saying, who am I? What can I do? I can't do that. How could I possibly? He's saying, have you seen my track record, Father? And Mufasa reminds him and says the words. (laughs) You guys remember the words that he says? Mufasa reminds him and says the words, you are my son. 
and the one true king. I love that. What's he saying? He goes, you are my son. Before you are anything else, Simba, before you are anything else, Casey, before you are anything else, Collective Church, you are my son and daughters. See, no matter what change or unknown may come this year and the next year and the next and the next and the next, we can watch it fall in line to who we are now. See, church, meaningful change first comes in the new year by belonging. By belonging. See, part of being changed, being made new, is is that we are his. One of the sweetest verses in all the Bible is in chapter 43 of Isaiah, where it says in verse 1, you are mine. There's got to be people in here who are longing to hear those words. For somebody to tell them that you are mine and I am yours. God is saying you are mine. We are his sons. We are his daughters. Thus not merely, I am not a, you know, we're not students who attend UCLA or USC. No, 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 no. You are a follower of Christ attending UCLA or USC. You are not a stay-at-home mom who follows Jesus. Hear me, stay-at-home moms. You are a disciple of Christ having what I'd say is the hardest, challenging, and most rewarding vocations and callings in all of the human race. And that being to disciple God's most just precious possessions, your children, that he has has allowed and entrusted you with. You are not just some divorced man or some divorced woman in troubled times. You are his sheep who is walking through the valley of the shadow of death with their their shepherd. So I say all this to hopefully give a clear understanding of all that Christ has done. The changes of his love, his mercy, his forgiveness that has has been made within our life. And that no change, whether self-induced or unexpected, changes the glorious new creation that you are now. So this year, when we confront tribulations and hardships, because they will come, bad, hard things will happen this year to us. So when they come, we know that those now can have purpose. And we can now, through Jesus, actually have peace. See, Satan would love to use that to change us, to make us into something horrible. See, God would love to use those situations to change us into something holy. I love that, and I think it's powerful, that within chapter 43, God speaks about what he can do and what he will do. Where he says, I will make a way in the wilderness, and I'll put a river in the desert. Now, if you stop to really think about that, and we think about all that God is, it doesn't say, God doesn't say, I'm going to swallow up the wilderness. It doesn't say, I'm going to banish the desert. You don't want the desert anymore? Gone. No, no, no. It says in the midst of your wandering and lack, when the monsters of fear and pain come out from underneath your bed, Isaiah 43 is saying, I, God, will be there. Isaiah 43 is God saying, I will make a way. I will make a way. Are you in a hard time? I will make a way. It may not be what we expect, but it will be a way that continues to change us into something more. Again, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. 
very simply, how you respond this year, how you react to unexpected events or circumstances. Maybe even now, how are you responding now? I'm done with my Bible. I'm done with church. I'm done with them. How are you responding now? A huge point of change for all of us this year is how we'll react to the wilderness and the deserts. See, the problem isn't the wilderness. The problems aren't the deserts. A huge misconception this year that could arise and we view it and it catapult us is to then forget and doubt and somehow reason that you or I have been abandoned by God. I am in this wilderness. I am in this desert abandoned by God. But if I could pose a change of thinking now, right now, that when deserts and wildernesses are present, that they're not God's love abandoned, but God's love in action. See, the truth is refining and change and meaningful change, we're talking about meaningful change, happens the most in the wildernesses of 2016 and in the deserts of life. And naturally, we don't really take notice of this usually till it's retrospect, right? See, what Isaiah 43 does is it actually gives us our aim. Isaiah 43 gives us our aim. The wilderness is not the destination. No, God says, I'm going to make a path that leads to our destination. It reveals our aim. All change is like a vapor unless it has a defined goal, a finishing mark, or a collective aim. What is the point of change if it doesn't have a destination? See, the aim being transformed and carved into the image of Son and ultimately eternity with Him. Friends, do you have uh, your resolutions or your spire changes this year directing your actions and words towards that aim? More and more trans- transformed to the image of Jesus worth eternity in mind. Is the hope for eternity which changes our present actions now? I want to get really practical for just a minute. Let's get practical. One, we have to set our aim on Jesus. We have to set our aim on Jesus. I'm going to go over three things that hopefully are practical. Is he our chief joy? Is it him, the giver, that we're after? Are we just after the gifts? Are we compelled by the truth of the gospel? I mean, is it circumstantial change or is it character change? We have to set our aim on Jesus. Two, what steps are needed to make meaningful change? Meaningful change, what steps are needed? Am I living for his kingdom? Am I desperate in prayer? Am I hungry for his word? Am I bringing this to the community, to the church? See, change is communal. Change is communal. The communal process, discipleship. So are we bringing this stuff forward? And number three, do I take these steps daily? Do I take these steps daily? True, sustainable change, whatever it may be, is a process. It takes work. But it's not a January resolution, but a moment by moment, day by day, taking up of our cross. A daily denial of self. Self-oriented choices or God-oriented choices. Author and pastor Tim Chester reminds us where he says, change is a lifelong daily struggle that will end with internal harvest of holiness. Now, I want to just pause as we end and imagine 
Like, let's just get on the magic school bus. Let's pop on our thinking caps. What, what would this newly formed change look like within the church? What would this change look like if God's resolutions for us became a reality? Only you know or must seek to know what God would have for us this year. But imagine if they were sought out and applied. Imagine if they were sought out and applied. What a powerful change would happen. Hear me. What powerful change would happen around us by the aspiration and aim for internal change within us. That, my friends, would be an incredible thing to be a part of. To watch the West Side change, to watch LA change, to watch our lives change, just as good, Josh says, excuse me, as God desires in 40, Isaiah 43, where he says, the people whom I'm born for myself, that they might declare my praise.